HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch.com. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I'm excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. Newsflash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. Yeah. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers, that is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. A good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you are engaging them, they are engaging with each other. And you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You'll also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you. Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome Lise Hernandez, chef owner of Arepa Mia in Atlanta. In this episode, we'll talk to Lise about keeping a restaurant going in COVID times, Venezuelan food in the American South. And we'll hear Lisa's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We continue to hold everyone coping with the pandemic and those in the hospitality industry 
in our thoughts, and we send our gratitude to all the essential workers keeping us going. We hope you'll join us for the presentation of the 2020 Julia Child Award to Danielle Nirenberg at the 6th Annual Smithsonian Food History Weekend and Gala from Home, October 15th, 16th, and 17th this year. And this year, the Gala and the Food History Weekend will be virtual and free. Go to foodhistoryweekend.si.edu to register now. And check out our interview with Danielle back in episode 94. Before we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia, we have some exciting news to celebrate. Today's show marks our 100th episode. Yay! And now, without further ado, as always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. We're sticking with the same chef theme from episode 99. Now, Julia traveled the world with her husband, Paul, before they settled down in Cambridge. And while Julia is best known for her advocacy of French cooking, she also lived in many more countries than France, such as China and Sri Lanka, both during World War II. Her quest for discovery carried on throughout Julia's career as she moved well beyond France and studied a lot about how food in America was rapidly evolving as the great melting pot assimilated more and more people from diverse cultures. Julia's deep interest in all types of food drove her to keep learning from other chefs. All the better if that chef happened to be a woman cooking food Julia wasn't all that familiar with. Someone who fits that very description is Lise Hernandez. We met Lise through our mutual friend, food writer Sandra Gutierrez, who we talked to about the new Southern Latino movement back in episode 57. Lise emigrated to the U.S. from Venezuela in 1998, eventually settling in Atlanta in 2003. After working as an executive chef for more than eight years, Lise created a pop-up featuring her mother's arepa recipes. And arepas are Venezuelan corn patties that are naturally gluten-free and they're stuffed with meat and or vegetables. Arepa Mia opened its first location at the historic sweet Auburn Municipal Market in downtown Atlanta, and now in its third iteration in the Avondale Estates neighborhood, Lise prioritizes sourcing local meat and vegetables because freshness is key to making great tasting arepas. Arepa Mia had made many best lists, including Atlanta's best top 50 restaurants, 30 best gluten-free restaurants in Top Eats, best gluten-free by Discovery Travel, and it was even featured in a Garden and Gun magazine story by John T. Edge. Lise joins us today to talk about how she and Arepa Mia have weathered the COVID storm. Welcome to the podcast, Lise. Oof, thank you so much, Doc, for having me. I'm very excited. Super excited and humbled to be here. Well, we're delighted to, to hear um, about your journey and how things are going. So maybe we'll just start really simply with like, how are things going in Atlanta and how do they feel to you right now? Um, well, it, it's still, you know, we still working extra steps, you know, to keep everything safe. It's still a lot of work. Uh, we hear the COVID uh, is coming in a second wave. So we're definitely taking a lot of precautions for everything. Usually the work of restaurants is pretty tough and with the COVID definitely makes it tougher, you know, because you have to have extra careful from the inside and out. So it's, it's definitely a lot of work. And And do you feel like things are getting better, the same, worse? It sounds sort of like the same, but you're preparing for the worse. Yes, I think um, I would say better because now we are practicing more. uh, I mean, we're doing more of the social distance and wear your mask and it's getting more like we're getting used to it. You know, it's not as like the first time that I opened after being closed for two months. That was 
you know, nerve wracking because we didn't know what will happen. But now since uh, we opened since May 14, now we're accustomed, you know, okay, it's like a part of our daily uh, things to do. Like wearing a mask before you go to a restaurant, checking temperatures, uh, make sure that the signs are in the front of the restaurant for people to read, um, making sure that what is new in the news about COVID, if it's something that we need to know that we may be missing, you know, so all those little things, it get easier uh, now than before, but it's still the same. Um we're definitely taking, you know, one day at a time. We're not, it's really hard now to make a plant in the future as the moment as COVID, you know? So definitely that is the, the main thing. And you've talked about sort of all the procedures you've had to do to kind of cope with the, the new health and safety measures. But I wanted to go back and sort of have you take us through what was the impact and what has been the impact on your business from sort of where you were way back in the end of February, early March, and just sort of now, like what, what, how have you survived? What changes have you had to make sort of big picture? Oh my God, we had to, we had to make a big change. If you know, I mean, you have, you know, interview a lot of people and we, Latinos are known for being very touching and being together and big party, you know, and gathering, big gatherings and family oriented. So definitely social distancing doesn't, it's not part of our culture. You know what I mean? <laughs> it doesn't come so, naturally. No, no, no. So uh, this was definitely a huge challenge and it still is a huge challenge to keep ourselves distance. And, and as a matter of fact, I mean, uh, now that I'm here in the United States, you know, uh, the American culture use very much a slang that says, you know, I want my own space, correct? Uh, well, that, that doesn't exist in the Latin community. So with <laughs> this now being part of our everyday, it's been a huge challenge. And especially my restaurant where I have big, long tables. And, and, and at the very beginning of Arepamia was even a little sign that says on the wall, we don't have Wi-Fi. Please uh, feel free to talk to each other, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, people were gathering like three different family, different family that were sitting together and they all sudden they were starting a conversation because that was the main thing for Arepamia, you know, just be together, eating together and join a meal and talk about it because there were uh, items or dishes that were not familiar with them. So when COVID hit, all that has to change. <laughs> now it's like, you know, keeping your distance and, you know, don't even look to the left and right. So it's, it was a big challenge. Now, of course, since we opened, we're a little, you know, more used to it. And that's why we even made some signs because we have a big patio in front of the restaurant. Thankfully, we do. Um, mm. Not many people, restaurants are lucky to have a patio outdoor seating. So we managed to make some signs, very cute signs. So we put it all over in the lawn of the front of the restaurant to remind people, you know, to keep distance and it's little things like that. But, you know, once in a while, because uh, in Arepa Mia, a lot of people come from, uh, a lot of people from everywhere, from North Carolina, South Carolina, they drive two, three hours just to come to the restaurant to eat. So when they travel, they travel in big families. <laughs> mm. So they're like six or eight. So I have to like, we have to, uh, uh, basically put a sign where we only leave one party at a time inside the restaurant, you know, would require, you know, wearing a mask. If you come inside the restaurant, just little precautions to keep our employees and even themselves safe because we really don't know, you know. So that has been a challenge because they're, they're not used to that. And neither I, so it's just, but I have to do it because I've been, you know, trying to get knowledgeable about it. And what can I do to keep going, you know, the restaurant? But it's been so far, you know, like I said, it's been a blessing that 
thank God I have a outdoor seating patio. Yes. Yeah, no, I was going to say that was like an incredible fortune for you and all the ups and downs. And so I, I was, I wanted to go back to that because I, what I've understood is, is this sense of building community is very um, embedded in, in what you've been doing. And so did you actually have to swap out your communal tables or have you just sort of relied on customers to do this space? Like, did you actually have to physically change how, how you organize the restaurant? Yes, um, like the restaurant inside, if you go to the restaurant, uh, that inside is, we have a lot of, you know, green plants all over the place. We got, you know, like a big long tables, communal tables, and also we have individual tables where you can sit a party of four or six. And they're not all clamped together. We have a really great space in the restaurant. But uh, once uh, the pandemic happened, we definitely closed the dining uh, inside the, the restaurant completely. So we're not accepting any diners inside the restaurant. So everything is made to go. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we didn't want to compromise to our customers saying like, oh, yeah, we're accepting diners. So what I ended saying, because it was a lot of, I didn't want it to get a miscommunication with them, so we don't have uh, any commitment with them. Is hey, all our food is made to go, but mm-hmm. you're welcome to eat it outside if you want to, you know. And we see, yeah. create, yeah, we create like a, a place where you take your uh, disposable, you know, after you finish and the trash, and then we'll come after and we kind of clean and sanitize everything. So that uh, definitely. Uh, our customers are very, actually very grateful that we took, we are taking this extra step for safety. You know, once in a while, there is always one person that they get frustrated because we're not taking, you know, diners inside. But, it, you know, it's just 99.9% of our customers actually love the concept, how we reinvented Arepa Mia, because, uh like I said, we're very fortunate that we have two doors, so we keep one for only in coming come in and the other one to go out. And we kinda layer the inside of the restaurant with tables very close to the entrance. So also we created a new website where you can place your order online. So when people place order online, so they send you an email when your food is going to be ready. So they come in really quick. They even look through the window and they grab their bag and they go from the other door. So there is really no contact if you want to do that. But you also uh, can come in inside the restaurant, place your order and wait outside or you can call in. You know, we have those three ways to place your order with Arepa Mia. So, um, yes, we did change that part inside the restaurant. So we have to make sure there is a, a, a way that it kind of flows. And thankfully, it's been great. And the outside people, you know, that uh, which is kind of make the tables a little more uh, distance, you know, about six, seven feet, even a little more. Mm-hmm. And since it's not enclosed, so it make it easier for us to spend, you know, the table and move it around where really literally next to the fire department and yeah. it's a nice big open so if people are kind of like i see somebody misbehave and they say hey i'm sorry we have to keep this we got the fire department next to it so we have to keep <laughs> it now like oh okay okay but and you know yeah overall everybody's been very helpful and, and grateful that we are actually open and working during the pandemic so that that's really nice to to have you know that you have that support from them because it's definitely harder uh, for a lot of restaurants and we as the owners to work in this but makes it very um, uh, I I don't know how to say it but uh, makes it happy that we are giving something back and we're getting the support from you know the community so they're very they're being very supportive. Well, that's great to hear. It sounds like you've benefited just from some good luck that the actual physical structure and the way you run the restaurant was maybe easier than other styles of restaurants to adapt to COVID. Yes, Todd. Yes, 
absolutely. I moved to this building uh, three, three and a half years ago. And every day during the COVID-19, I said, thank God I moved to this building. Because if I wasn't the other one, it, I don't know if I would have survived. Because I there know, was a just... different layout. It's just so yes. incredible, those kind of things of like some restaurants can can adapt both because of the type of food they serve or how they're structured or their physical environment or all three. And then others, which never would have thought about all these things, it's just impossible. So it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I wanted yes, to go back yes. to something you said, because I was really curious about the sort of trajectory of, you know, making and serving a, Arepas uh, in Atlanta, and you said that people come from as far away as North and South Carolina. Do those people tend to be other Latinos, or like what's been that kind of reception that you've gotten in Atlanta and obviously beyond? Um, yes, it, you know there there is definitely there been you know people from like uh, other Latin countries. Um, they drive this you know far like just like two weeks ago i had a big family coming in and they said you know uh we came here a year ago and we were looking for a beach in georgia but honestly the trip was just to come here so we said okay which beach is close to atlanta <laughs> so we can took our trip and then come to eat here. And, and then I was asking questions, you know, like, it's, you know, there, I know there is places in North Carolina to eat Venezuelan cuisine. He said, yes, we did try. We had tried many times. But when we bite to the food, it's like, oh, man, this is not arepa mia, you know. And then, <laughs> you know, it was, it's, it's great to hear it, you know. But I think it's like when you hear any cool good restaurant in any city because i'm a you know I, I i love to travel and and love to take road trips and love to know which little tiny hole has the best you know probably fish fish sandwich and if you have to go back and i do it once a year i'll go back to that same spot so i can understand that but to me it's, it's very unbelievable they come to arepamia and drive specifically just to eat with me so it's i feel very grateful and honored they do that and especially when people that are from you know latin countries but i got you know a lot of customers they moved to atlanta because of the movie industry and they had to move back or they're just passing through from like new york or, or los angeles or san francisco and they say this is my first stop so it's it's great to hear that it's really great no, that's amazing. And then, but it also sounds like you have quite a strong um, local following. And I don't, are you in a part of Atlanta that is, ne it's not necessarily heavily Latino where you are, is it? Uh, no, no, I think uh, I am in a part where, uh, no, there's not many uh, Latin, you know, community around me. Uh, and mostly are, you know, Native, I mean, Americans. And even when Latino comes to eat, they get really surprised to see how many Americans come to eat at the restaurant. They say, oh, my God, you have a lot of Americans coming to eat here. And they get very surprised. Um, and I and, say, and yeah, just candidly, people... by Americans, you mean white people is what you mean. <laughs> Cause, no, like, cause... well, they, they, they don't look at it as like if somebody's, you know, Latino, you know, they immediately see, you know, a person that it doesn't look Latino, like for them it's American, you know. Mm. And uh, I guess I, I was, you know, living in the city. I was not living, you know, like in a community, like if you go to an area they call Beaufort Highway or Lawrenceville, there is a lot of big community, Venezuelan community or uh, like Honduras or Guatemala or Mexico. Uh, you know, I was really in the city, very close to um, uh, uh, the the market. And uh, when I started Arepa Mia, uh, I, I mean, I was working in another restaurant, but I moved for like a year and a half from from Atlanta, so I needed to reinvent myself and get familiar again what was happening here in Atlanta. And I started Arepa Mia at the Surabo Market through the uh, uh, Atlanta on the Ground Market. So I have a big followers from that, and definitely that it was the big uh, key for me to to be more recognized and known uh, around the community.
So, and it was very unique, you know, dish. I mean, no one was doing that and, and they didn't know, you know, what arepas were, even though there were, you know, a few places in the north where I live. But I guess it's just the way that I did it and made it very unique uh, for a lot of people. Yeah. No, that's terrific. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more from Chef Lise Hernandez of Atlanta's Arapa Mia. Stay with us. I'm Brian Kenny, a board member at HRN and Director of Collections and Archives for Hearst Western Properties. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed and always antibiotic-free. It's produced from free-ranging American cattle. I recently recorded an episode of HRN on Tour with the division manager for Hearst Ranch, Roland Camacho. We talked about what makes Hearst Ranch unique. So we've done a really good job of looking at where it started. We're now at a point where Hearst Ranch Beef has been doing business in seasonal grass-fed beef with Whole Foods for nine years. If we play the tape forward 50 years, Mm -hmm. what do you see? Not much changing on the ranch, I'll tell you that much. Um, That's one of the things that uh, I'm proud to say that Hearst, in the 13 years I've worked for them, that they've done, is that they're all about preserving the uh, cowboy way of life and that traditional lifestyle. So I don't see that changing at all. There'll still be cow-calf ranches. They may be a little more sustainable. They may have a little bigger solar project on them. They'll probably have a little different combination of farming outfit there, but they're going to raise great American beef. For 150 years, the Hearst family has raised cattle on 150,000 acres of rich, sustainable grasslands on California's central coast. A conservation easement protects Hearst Ranch's working landscape, preserving its agricultural productivity, biodiversity, and scenic vistas in perpetuity. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch.com. Welcome back. We're talking to Chef Lise Hernandez from Arepa Mia about surviving the COVID storm and also about being a Latina chef in the American South. So, Lise, I I wanted to dive a little deeper into your experience, um, you know, both personally and as it kind of relates to this moment in time. And, uh, you know, I think I used that metaphor at the beginning about America being a melting pot, which is used for many different cultural things, but obviously it's a really great food metaphor as well. And I just wanted to talk to you more about your experience as both an immigrant and also an immigrant who's chosen food as a profession and that way to kind of bridge your, you know, the the culture of your upbringing and the culture that you've ad- adopted in your new home. And I was just curious, so can you tell us more about like what that experience is like and like and meant to you, you know, becoming a professional chef in America in the South and then sort of ending up as this sort of Arapa queen of Atlanta? What what are your thoughts on on that whole journey? Um, you know, Todd, it, like if you ask me, I some you know, sometimes look back and and I see, you know, what I'm done so far and it to me it's it's incredible um especially all the things that i uh i did and how i i came to the united states and and how things happen it was like literally like a plan layout um i still you know can't believe it that i am at this point owning my own concept and and being so uh uh Receive, you know, by the community is really very uh, touching, and and I'm very grateful and honored, you know, that I, I have a concept mm. that people love, and it's, you know, it's just very simple food and uh, something that I guess I I was impacted by the food that I learned during my my trips and and traveling other countries, you know, when I moved here to the states back in 1998, I, I I didn't have, you know, any formal education like, you know, English or 
uh, even neither a career in the culinary arts. You know, everything I learned just through literally to travels because I live in Dominican Republic. I live in, in Mexico. And when I live in Mexico, it was a big impact for me because in Venezuela, you know, we didn't know anything about Mexican cuisine at all. And um, when I was in Dominican Republic, I learned so much about, you know, plantains. And I was, you know, fascinated about plantains, especially from an area they call San Juan de la Maguana. And I was like, wow, this is just great. And then, uh, you know, my dad is from Spain. I really want to go and live in Spain and learn, you know, about uh, my other side of my family. So, uh, but at the same time, I wanted to learn English because I really want, I loved the American culture. I loved their music and I wanted to come here for a few months and learn English and go back because I wasn't, you know, pretty good fluent in English when I moved here, but I had the basic, you know, when you're in the high school and I mm. took other private classes too. So when I, mm-hmm. but when I moved here, you know, I wasn't be able to have a conversation like I have now. You know, we're talking about that 1998. I was, you know, I just recently, as a matter of fact, I found that email way back then and I read that email and I was like, oh my God, I was just talking like a little baby, you know, five years old. Like, you know, it's not that I'm talking perfect English now because I, I still have an accent and I make a lot of horrible mistakes in grammar, but uh, definitely I can continue and have a conversation. But, uh, you know, when I was in New Orleans, I was in shock about, you know, the culture, you know, the influence, French cuisine, you know, German, Spanish. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I lived there from 2000, I mean, uh, 1998 to 2000, and I loved it. I worked in a very tiny uh, coffee shop, and I learned about more about baking because I was in charge in baking all the pastries. So I was very deep. And into that. And then I had the opportunity to move to Asheville. And that was, you know, the opposite of being in New Orleans and learn a little more deep about, you know, uh, the, I know the idiosyncrasy of the Americans, like, and the, like a lot of hippies and very natural and surround the nature and the, and the country music and folk music and, and then the food. So I was like, I was totally like uh, Alice in Wonderland because me, it was about learning so many different culture. So eventually I had a friend that she was deployed back in 2003. She was deployed to uh, uh, Kandahar, you know, in, in, in mm-hmm. the military and, I was ready to move to another city because I already live in Asheville and Pisgah Forest and Candler Park, and I loved it. But I wanted to move to a bigger city in Atlanta. It was one of the cities that I was, you know, kind of thinking, and because she moved here. And she said, but if you want to move to my Atlanta, I already have my apartment. I don't have time to move. I had to leave. So I did. So she definitely was one big part of it because I already have the apartment set up. So I moved here, and, you know, the rest, it was basically looking for a job, you know, like a regular cook and, and took me, you know, probably mm-hmm. like a month to find, you know, a, a good job. I, I remember that I, I got declined by one of the now known chef here and he didn't want to take my job. He did, but and then he said no to me, which is funny now. He owns restaurants. I own restaurants. And I just look back in history, you know, and then I... I got this job with, with this wonderful man, Richie, and I worked for him for almost uh, nine years. And definitely I learned a lot about the business because I, basically I was managing his restaurant, but I wasn't the owner. So I it was like basically playing with his money. But I did it mm. in, in very conscious about, okay, I have to do everything that in prepare myself here because from here I really wanted to open my own concept so I was very much in detail learning everything about you know food costs labor costs you know inventory managing specials everything so I was like a, a sponge you know just sucking all the information and I'm glad that I did uh, I had the opportunity to open then a coffee shop 
with a very good friend of mine that she just passed away in Apalachicola. So I moved to Apalachicola for a year and a half. By the time I come back, because I don't, I think you remember there was a oil spell in the Gulf, the horizon spell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, got uh, the little town, you know, it's very much based on tourism and, and it got and it got very damaged, you know, and, and hurt by that oil spell. So I was forced to move out of the town because it was not the economy could not survive both of us. So I left and came back mm. to Atlanta. So when I came back to Atlanta, I had to start all over again because I left my job for eight years and nobody really knew me here. So I was looking for another job. So I started a job in uh, Highland Bakery, a really well-known chef here. And I worked so hard in that place because she had a really high volume of, uh, in that, I mean, huge um, operation. And I had to be there like Mm -hmm. at four o'clock in the morning and leave there like around seven, seven thirty at night. And the only thing that I asked her is to get me Fridays off because I wanted to do Arepa Mia and show uh, basically what my mom used to do. So on Thursday, I do remember clearly for a year and a half that I went to uh, my house basically on Thursday, go get all the ingredients through my vendor, which was Charlotte from Riverview Farms and get my pork, roast all the meat all night long, no sleeping. And by 11, I was setting up my little table inside the Surabo market selling, you know, those arepas. And I did it for a year and a half until I saved all the money that I could. And, you know, during that year and a half, I was part of the Atlanta Underground Market and making those arepas from my house and, and working. You know, I was doing it with so much passion because I was so excited about the people really were loving these, you know, simple sandwiches, and always. Wow, that that's a, that's amazing. So when you were working at Highland and starting at the underground market, when you said you had Fridays off, were you? Did you have any days off, or you actually you did Thursday and Friday for for your arepa, and then the other all the other days you were working at Highland or did you still have like another day off? No, 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 no day off. My day off, I was when I'll usually get off by (laughs) 7 p.m. But on Thursday, I wasn't off. I just leave the restaurant, you know, at seven o'clock at night and go straight to my house and start prepping all night long without sleeping and to be ready by 11, you know, and setting up the little table inside the Surabo market. But by four o'clock that I was all finished because I would probably sold, sell out by like, you know, two o'clock. I mean, one hour and a half, everything was gone. By the time I get to my house and sit on the couch, I was literally <laughs> like a zombie, you know, and I was like, oh, oh my God, done. You know? So you had like you had one night's sleep and then you would go back to Highland at four in the morning. Yes, yes, the next day. yes, yes, wow. yes. Well, that's the explanation of how you did it. You're 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 an incredibly hard worker, obviously. Yeah, that was. And I mean, would would you say that's the sheer secret? Because I was going to ask you. I'm sure there are some obstacles that you found, or that to to start your own venture. I can't imagine that every banker in Atlanta said, "Oh, hi." woman from Venezuela, we'd love to give you a loan to no, start a restaurant. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I work so hard. And, you know, it was funny because uh, I think, you know, as an immigrant, when you come, you know, to a country, of course, I didn't come to this country thinking that I'll be working that much. And honestly, it's not me being any, any like, sincere about what I did in my work, I guess, because I always worked since I was very little, making arepas in a struggle with my mom selling my mom, you know, they did it for years in Caracas, you know, it was like part of me, mm-hmm. it was like in my DNA, you know, it was like me, just the fact to be able to work and come to the rest, to my house and having a really great kitchen, because having a four, you know, uh, a stove in my house, that was literally a modern and great kitchen setup, you know, versus the one that my mom used to have, 
when it was only like a two little stove and it was with kerosene, you know, that you have to fill up every mm. 30 minutes and, and it was smoke mm. all over the place and it was a little tiny kitchen, you know? So to me, it was, um, uh, already past like the worst, if that makes sense, you know? So it was easier. Yeah. 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 Wow. So yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think that that should humble everyone who complains about their kitchen being too small, and and that if uh, you can start it that way. I did. I did want to ask you since you brought up life in Venezuela, and I think right now a lot of people are really feeling the stress of both COVID and the upcoming election, and all the division and the protests and the killing and and just the frustration. But obviously what's going on in Venezuela right now is incredibly difficult, even more difficult than what you left behind. And I was just curious, like you were saying that you, you feel like you have so much comparatively in Atlanta now, does that help kind of put this divisive moment in perspective or how can you compare and contrast it? I was curious what, what your thoughts and if you, um, you know, sort of share with our audience a little bit of, of, of what is happening back in Venezuela. Oof, that's a, you know, it's a tough question to answer um, because I literally, I was just in March, you know, I would say literally, but it was, you know, a few months ago. And I was lucky enough to live in Venezuela because I went to visit my mother. My mother is still there. And I stayed with her for a month. And I left the country two weeks just when they closed the border. So I couldn't be still stuck there if I did I, mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. So when I left Venezuela on March 4th, they literally closed it two weeks later. Um, be, because of COVID be, or because, because of, of COVID? COVID. Yeah, there's still, yeah. you cannot fly to Venezuela. There's still no, nothing open. And, and still in, in, few, in few countries, it's still the same. But I mean, I couldn't imagine being stuck there, having my business here. Uh, I, I'm pretty mm. sure it would, it would be very tough for my partner to to be able to do that by herself. But um, being in Venezuela in March and uh, COVID wasn't as pronounced as as when I left. Um, I mean, when I travel and then and I went through Panama and I saw a few people, you know, with masks and I, I saw a few agents at the uh, at the airport by airplanes with and checking temperature i was like getting curious like wow this is getting serious you know and and i was wondering mm. what was happening and uh right now venezuela is 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 unfortunate what is happening to venezuela because before covid it was already super bad like the economy bad no electricity no, no gasoline as, as now, you know, for a, there is, uh, there were a lot of cities outside of the city of Caracas. They're already having huge problem getting gas. Uh, and now it finally got to the point where it's now in the city, in the main city of Caracas. So now you see, uh, huge lines for days people waiting for gasoline and mm. because it used to be subsidized by the government it's still part subsidized by the government but that one you cannot even find it so there's just a few uh, gas stations they may still have but now it's a huge uh, problem like my brother to get her uh, his car feel he has to pay in dollars and everything they move in Venezuela right now is in dollars, which is pretty amazing too. So if you lucky, it's not even you having the money to get uh, gasoline, even if you have dollars, it's just, there is no even gasoline to pay in dollars. So there is no gas. Has it become like how it's been? I think it's changed now, but it, it, like, for instance, I, well, it's probably 20 years ago, I went to Cuba and there were sort of two economies. There was the official one with Cuban pesos and then there was a dollar economy. And, you know, if you wanted most things, and you wanted them in a timely fashion, you had to have dollars and you were likely dependent on, on dollars being sent to you from, from outside Cuba. Is that kind of what's happened now in Venezuela? Well, kind of, but Cuba is still, you know, way better now than Venezuela. 
I mean, it's just really hard to to say what is the problem. I mean, there's still people, uh, uh, you know, dying with a lot of uh, medical, very short, short medical supplies. Um, you know, the elderly people are basically dying. You know, children are still very under, uh, you know, what they're supposed to be eating. There is just no way that Venezuela or the majority of people in Venezuela can do quarantine because even before COVID, they have to go, you know, on the daily basis to find what they're going to eat on a daily basis. So they don't have the money uh, to keep food for a week. You know what I mean? So if you don't find they're, it... They're not, get, they're not getting Amazon Fresh delivered to the door oh, as a Oh, no, as no, a that's impossible. So... On COVID now, uh, on top of it, it's just the worst thing that can happen. It is amazing because, you know, Venezuela, a year ago, it was all over the news and this is happening and, you know, and human right, the human rights is just uh, horrible. They've been killing people. But uh, that was a year ago on the, on the news. Well, now what is happening in Venezuela is worse than a year ago in, in, in Venezuela. It's not on the news. You know, it's just in, no. I know that, crazy. that. That's why I wanted to ask you. And how how is your mother doing? Oh, my my mother is doing okay because I'm here. And if it wasn't honestly me being outside of the country, I don't know where she could be. You know, uh, my brother is there, and and we try to keep her everything that she needs. You know, like right now. It's very uh, hard to get out of your house. They have this thing where one week is flexible for you to go out and and do things. And like this week is very enforced. So you have to be locked down at your house. And when it's flexible, there is no business opening, no restaurants. Well, yes, there's a few restaurants opening, but everything has to be to go. Pharmacies, a few, and hospitals and gas station. But if you have a bar and stuff like that and you open, you get, you know, fine. So nothing like that is is working. So, uh, like, if my brother wants to go to my mom and, and bring her something this week, that's impossible. You cannot get out of the house unless you are a doctor and you have some kind of a permit when you go to on the road because the the police will stop you and they'll ask you and you can go to jail. Yeah. So they have wow. that. And- so contra- contrast that with how that I think that's a, a very vivid description of how difficult life is in, in Venezuela. And you very discreetly did not touch on most of those difficulties are imposed by a government that has decided to, to 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 run itself a certain way, and given what the concerns are in the states, do you feel like it just doesn't compare and contrast, or do you have the same, not same, but concerns about the, the direction that things are going in America? Um, no, you cannot compare. That's nothing. We're still you're still very much in, <clears throat> in a paradise. <laughs> and, and so does that make you optimistic actually even with for america not not for venezuela i'm sure you're... that's the other very good question to answer because i at the same time uh you know uh, a month ago or so i was divided in being venezuelan in leaving the problems that venezuela has reading the news what the government's doing you know, getting all that bad information, bad news on daily basis, and I was getting sick. And then my other part, being American, because now I'm a native, you know, I mean, citizen of the United States and, and live here. This is my everyday. This is my world. This is what everything uh, I've been in the past, you know, almost 25 years. And uh, I love, you know, my country, which is this one, and has given me so much, and I'm very grateful. But I also have very internal problems, right? So mm. in their own unique, different way. So it's really hard for me to compare Venezuela with what's going on here. It's very different. 
Um, the only thing that I find sim similar things is, you know, exactly that, that the country is divided. And uh, that in Venezuela is way worse than here, but here is getting bad, which, uh, you know, it, to me, that's very sad because I already went through that being Venezuela. And I still live that in Venezuela where people are from very Chavistas from Chavez and Maduro, and they want them. And then there are families they are fight in between because of politics. Um, you know, you cannot even talk about politics anymore. And the same thing is happening here in America that you cannot even in between families you cannot talk about politics. It's something that you on a Thanksgiving day you say we're not going to talk about politics, right? Because everybody had different view. And I think yeah. the difference that has changed is like, wait, talking about 25 years ago, what I remember was that if you were one party or the other, you still have a barbecue, you know, on the back end of your patio and you guys talk and you guys were friends, respecting everybody's, you know, feelings or, you know, whatever you wanted to do. But now it's a little more like, uh, it gets violent, you know, part of that. And then if you don't get your way, you're going to kind of hurt somebody, you know, for your way of thinking. And that to me is when it comes, it becomes a problem. I think um, anybody that wanted to be successful or wanted to do or have an idea when already uh, doing uh, damage to somebody else, I think it's not a good thing, if that makes sense. I think, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, it, uh, that's the it, problem um, that I see here. I cannot compare with Venezuela, but I am, you know, comparing what I already went through in Venezuela and it's happening. So to me, what is, uh, it made me very sad to see America, the United States divided like that, because uh, when I first moved here, I loved how much America was so respectful for who you were. It doesn't matter where you came from. I know they always, you know, there were problems, you know, with racism and 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 that was a part of the history. But now it's it's, it's so marked, it's so violent. It's, it's just very saddening to see this in 2021. That a lot of very good heroes work to have it gone in our history back in the 50s and the 60s. And it now is in the 2021, it seems like it's worse than back in the day. And that's the only thing that made me sad because now having, having two countries in deeply in my heart in a very different way, they're having community fight to each other for something that at the end, they kind of realize like, why we're done you know it wasn't worth it so that's the only thing i can tell you no, about I, no no i think well that no that was what i wanted to know i think that's really interesting and and for lack of a better phrase it's food for thought on where it can go and and venezuela as a cautionary tale and two stories that remain still in progress yeah so i hope people now, learn from venezuela not to make those mistakes but my mom always says nobody really learned in somebody else's in somebody else's head, if that makes sense. You have to go through it. You have to get hurt. You got in order to learn. But I wish a lot of countries learn for what Venezuela is going through so they don't make that mistake. Me too. Hopefully it serves as a, a cautionary tale and more people will think about it from here. Mm -hmm. So after the break, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit and Lisa's going to share her own Julia moment. Get in touch, send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf and let us know what you think about today's show and share your ideas for future guests. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really... You just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? 
From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she might have inspired them in their career. All right, Lise, what's your Julia moment? (laughs) (laughs) I I have to tell you, this is my Julia moment, because I never thought thought that I would be, you know, on a podcast, you know, by the Julia Child Foundation in Art Culinary. So this is my definitely my big Julia moment, and I definitely wish in my heart that I could have met her, you know, because because the shows that I got to see her um, on TV, she was always very funny to me, the way that she spoke and the way that she did her show. Um, Inspiration, well, you know, she was amazingly, you know, a female and did the first show, TV show as a female, and I thought that was pretty amazing, remarkable. I, I can imagine what she went through when she did the show. Uh, and back, you know, in the 60s, 70s, I was a baby. I was even, you know, near to to be part of what food was all about. And when when I moved to Atlanta in 2003, she passed in 2004. So uh, I wasn't really, I, I never got to meet her, you know, other than the the chef that came to her show was Ja Pepin, and I love mm-hmm. him. I'm very admired of his work. And uh, a lot of chefs mm-hmm. came to his show, like Emerald Lagasse from New Orleans. Uh, it was great. Uh, so, I mean, she got a lot of great chef celebrities and with her in TV. But um, I think it's a great inspiration what she's done. And a way that I can relate is that she started her career mm-hmm. late, you know, when she was like on late 30s. I started when I was also on my late 30s, my career, mm-hmm. like deep, you know, 100% in it. I think that's one of the things that made me insp- inspire on her because it's never too late to learn something if you really, really wanted to do it. And it's from your heart and it's your passion. And I think that was her passion. That's why she was so successful in what she did, because she didn't look back. She just did it. Um, when I moved here, I was like 26. And then 10 years later is when I really started doing cooking more professionally. And, and I opened you know, my place nine years ago. So that, I think that's the most thing that I can see related to Julia. And I'm very humble, you know, to be in in part of in inspiration podcast shows. I'm definitely thank you for having me and 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 tell my story and my little side of the story of what I did with Arepa Mia and my uh, Venezuelan cuisine. That it's not probably 100% traditional. I don't think it's any more traditional food in the world because food has evolution evolution is so much and you always uh, do things new newer and uh, i think it just inspire for what my mom did and now using you know southern ingredients and what is available next to me and make it the freshest i can and um i always inventing and doing impronto specials and doing crazy things which i think they're great but it has you know working out for people that love it here in the South. And being a woman chef here in the South and an immigrant is definitely uh, a tough thing to do. But to me, coming from Venezuela, I think it was a little easier. Yeah, I already well, I have no doubt that if Julia was still here, she would have loved yeah. to come and learn to make your arepas with uh, <laughs> with her in Atlanta. I have no doubt she would have enjoyed it immensely. So thank you so yeah. much for sharing your story and joining us today. No, thank you, Todd, so much for having me. It was a pleasure and, and very grateful to be here. Thank you. You're most welcome. It's our pleasure. To learn more about Lise, check out arapamiaatlanta.com and you can follow her on on social it's at arapamia on instagram and twitter follow us at julia child on facebook and at julia child foundation on instagram for updates on the 2020 julia child award gala from home which is on october 15 2020 
during Smithsonian Food History Weekend. It's at Julia Child JCF. On, I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer of The Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. Please give us a review. It really helps new listeners discover the show. We are on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.